like to introduce uh, Kyle Beckridge. Many of you already know him. He's the senior director for Campus Outreach in Indianapolis. And um, he and his, his ministry is one that our church has been supporting for many years. So we welcome Kyle up. Let's give him a hand. All right. Good morning. It is good to be with you. I just left yesterday our annual New Year's conference, and um, we had around 700 college students there, many of whom are far from Jesus. And one of the days we uh, had a flag football tournament, which is usually indoors, and this year we played outdoors. And I began to feel the wheels fall off of my now 31-year-old body as we played in just frigid rain and mud. And although it felt okay in the moment, when I woke up the next day, I thought, I am, I am not the way that I was 10 years ago. <laughs> this, is, this is not okay. I am, I am breaking down. Um, so I don't know how you all do with Christmas presents, but I would say one of my greatest weaknesses in life is receiving a Christmas gift that I'm not excited about, and then pretending to be excited about it. I don't know if you can relate with this, but a few years ago, um, when my daughter was two, I had a, an obsession over getting noise-canceling headphones. So I I'm a seminary student. I do a lot of work that involves you know, trying to focus on something. And when you have kids running around the house, inciting chaos at all times, having just a little bit of silence is helpful. So my wife, who is an amazing gift giver, said, you know, Kyle, what do you want for Christmas this year? And I'm playing it cool. You know, I don't know. I don't need anything, babe. Like, but if you wanted to get me something, if you wanted to, there are these Bose noise-canceling headphones they are about $300, but they cancel all noise, and they would be an amazing gift. And she goes, okay, like, sounds good. And, you know, Jen and I have an agreement. Like, we don't check our Amazon accounts, like, during the Christmas season because you don't want to give away, you know, if she would have gotten me this gift or if I had gotten her her gift. But I had accidentally gotten on Amazon and noticed the Bose noise-canceling headphones, we're in the recently searched cart. So Christmas is coming. You know, gifts are piling up, mostly for our kids, but there was one gift for me. Just a beautifully wrapped blue package under the tree to Kyle from Jen. So Christmas morning comes, and again, I'm playing it cool. I got in Jen everything she asked. I'm watching her open her presents. I'm, you know, applauding. My daughter's opening her gifts, having a great time, and I'm just waiting for the last gift where I'll casually open up my headphones and ride off into the sunset of my office. And I open up my package, Jen, before watching me, Griffin's not born yet, and as I open the box, Jen, Jen and I disagree kind of on the state of the box, but I, I remember it being just a, a completely beaten up air fryer box, and so I think, wow, this was slick of Jen. Like, she put the headphones in this other box to make it seem like it was a big gift, but it was actually a smaller gift. And then I opened it up, 
and there's an air fryer. <laughs> and I didn't get the noise-canceling headphones. I had gotten an air fryer, which I love. But in the moment, I could not play it off. I was completely disappointed. And I didn't say it, but you, when you know someone, like Jen knew, she could see the disappointment. She could, I mean, she could feel it in the room. Like, Kyle is not happy about this gift. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. Maybe it's about a Christmas present. Maybe it's something small. A sports team disappoints you when your expectations were so high. But when your heart is set on something and it doesn't get followed through, you just feel disappointed that something wasn't given to you that you thought was coming. And that can happen in a, on a small scale. That's funny, talking about Christmas presents or a sports team. But that can also happen with many more serious matters in life. It can happen with you thinking you're going to get a promotion at your job. You're going to get a pay raise. You're going to get a bonus, and it doesn't come. You're thinking you're going to get specific results on a test from your doctor, but it comes back not in a way that you're hoping for. And disappointment ensues when our expectations are not met. So I want to ask the question this morning, where does disappointment come from? When we are let down in life, when we're upset and frustrated, where does that come from? Well, you know, we all look forward to a new year, and we, we always set the bar so high. And I'm sure I've told you many times about my uh, New Year's resolutions that don't often get met. But don't we all look towards 2023 with optimism? But often, when those unmet expectations come in, disappointment begins to ensue within our heart. So, this morning, I was asked to speak on a text in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 6. We'll have it on the screen behind us, where Jesus famously says the words, Do not be anxious. But before we read the text, let me set the stage for you a little bit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had already established his personal ministry. He had called the disciples to follow him. And now he, as a result of doing miracles and having this uh, relatively controversial following, had attracted a large group of spectators when he would teach. And so Jesus sits on a high place likely to project his voice and he says these words. So imagine with me, and knowing that this is God's word, infallible, without error, not just for those in the moment hearing this, but for us today. These are Jesus' words to us. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open up your word this morning, God, I pray, God, that uh, you would help us, God, to greater uh, discern this, God, as we believe that you are Lord over all things, God, not just over the birds and the flowers, but God, over our lives and every aspect of them. God, just pray that we would see you as Lord and worthy to be worshiped, and that would reflect the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So notice, if you uh, have any sort of uh, desire to study your Bible, you, you, you try to figure out words that stand out in a text that you see throughout Scripture. And when we look at this passage that I was asked to preach on this morning, the first word of Matthew 6, 25, is the word, therefore. Therefore is a very important word when we study the Bible. Because that means whatever is about to be said is predicated on what comes just before. So when Jesus says, do not be anxious, and all of these other reasons why, the reason we should not be anxious is a result of what I just told you. So before we look at this text, we do need to flip back just a few verses and see why Jesus is saying, therefore, do not be anxious. And this is what Jesus says in the five verses leading up to do not be anxious. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So before we answer the question, what does anxiety and worry look like in the life of a Christian? We have to ask the question, what are we investing our lives in? When you think about your life and its purpose, how would you answer that? What is your life all about? You make hundreds to thousands of decisions every day, every week, and in 2023 will be no different. You will invest your time into a number of different aspects. You will invest your money into different areas of your life. Life as a Christian is primarily about one word, stewardship. Stewardship. If, you, if you're not familiar with the uh, idea of stewardship, it's this. It is the investing of someone else's resources. And as a Christian, we are called to be a steward of what God has given us. Your life and my life is called to give investments on what God has given us. So if you look at your life, and if I were to say, if we were to scroll through your bank statement for the last two months, I would probably be able to tell a lot about you and what you love. If I were to scroll through what you've watched, what you've listened to, 
how you've spent your time. I could tell a lot about the things you care about. And I think this is a perfect moment for self-reflection. Before we look on the optimism for 2023, we can't imagine that yesterday didn't happen. In this last year, in the precedent that we've set in our life for what we worship. Because often, we don't worship God with our time and with our money. We worship other things. How do I know that? Because Jesus said this to his disciples and the people that followed him. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So what does it mean to invest in a treasure on earth? Jesus gives two qualities here. You'll know that you're investing in a treasure on earth when moth and rust can destroy it. So think about your life. All of the things you spend time doing and all of the money you spend on, how many of those things will be wasting away in the next 100 years? How many of them will last throughout eternity? Your beloved car that you spend so many hours fixing, which is important and you should have reliable transportation, is not going with you into eternity. The Netflix show you're binging that you just adore all of the characters is not going with you. Your kitchen that you've spent so much time making sure is organized and clean is not going with you. And I'm not trying to say those things aren't helpful and they can't be used to glorify God, but at the end of the day, if your expectations are predicated on having nice things, if they're going to waste away, they are of no value in eternity. Secondly, another mark for a treasure on earth is where thieves can break in and steal it. I don't know if you've thought much about this, but we don't have very much control of our lives or the things in it. We, we might stand on our American laws, which are nice and helpful, but at the end of the day, the things that you own and possess can be taken away from you like that. Your health can be taken away from you. Your possessions can be taken away from you. What Jesus is saying is don't invest on things that can be taken away from you so easily. Because, you know, we can laugh and joke, and the Christmas present story is funny. But at the end of the day, if we spend our life investing in things that are going to rust or that can be easily taken from us, we are spending our lives on the wrong thing. And Jesus is warning his disciples and us that we are at risk of this. And he, Jesus, talked often about money and investments and treasures of this world. And he does it even in a way that I think is equally, if not more helpful, in what's known as the parable of the rich fool. So this comes from Luke chapter 12, and I'll read it to you because when Jesus speaks in parables, what he's doing is he's giving us a story to communicate a truth. So Jesus gives a story that is not a, real, not a real moment in time, but rather to his people, just like us, we learn well when we hear stories. And Jesus gives this story to give us a little bit of insight on how we should spend our life and our time and our investments. Someone said in the crowd to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Quick note, if you've ever been a part of an inheritance issue or battle, and I'm sure most of you have been to some degree, these are messy moments. Things get messy even with close family members when it comes to talking about money and inheritances. And so I think a clear mark 
of sin entering the world where families can be so divided over again, things you will not be taking with you into eternity. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Before I read the parable, I just want to ask, does your life consist of the abundance of possessions? My guess is you probably would never say yes. So don't say yes or no, but think to yourself, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, am I building a life for myself here on earth? Or am I building something that will last into eternity? Then Jesus tells a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus says this to us. If your life is built on the abundance of possessions, covetedness, trying to build things here so you can eat, drink, and be merry as your primary source of joy, one day God will look at you and say, fool, you wasted your life. You've wasted your life. And I think it's important for us to note when Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, he wasn't talking to a group of people who had 401ks and multiple vehicles and property and houses and who at any moment can go get whatever they want to eat at any moment. And I know there are some of you in this room who likely that is not true for, but my guess would be for the vast majority of you, you are some of the wealthiest people in the world let alone the last 2,000 years. We are the rich person in the parable. We are the person who needs to deal with the camel struggling to get through the eye of the needle because in a global aspect, we are the wealthy. Whether or not we're comparing ourselves to, you know, the middle class versus the millionaire, in the grand scheme of church history, we are the wealthy person. And we need to be wrestling over what Jesus is saying in this text. Because he's not saying be lazy or careless, you know, don't save up money, uh, don't take care of yourself. What Jesus is saying is when you begin to have more than what you need, you need to check yourself. It's not wrong to eat and drink and have fun. We know that because of Ecclesiastes. It is good to enjoy yourself. Enjoy your family. Go on vacation. But what is the purpose of your life? Is it to build up enjoyment here? If it is, Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful, because that is not the purpose of life. Don't believe the lie is about your personal happiness here on earth. Your life as a Christian, if you know Jesus, is about enjoying him and knowing him and investing in his kingdom more than what will happen here on earth because you can't take it with you. You can't. Our greatest fear in life should be that one day when we die, 
which we all will, we'll hear the words fool. That should be our greatest fear in life, is that we tried to build a kingdom for ourselves here on earth rather than investing in the king himself. So, that being said, that's a good idea of treasures on earth, and Jesus warns us, but it's helpful to know Jesus is talking here to his disciples and to others that had been following him, and this is a warning for us as followers of Jesus. Be on guard with your time, with your money, with what you're investing in. And then Jesus then tells us, invest in treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, so where things cannot break down, where things will last into eternity. And here are just a few examples of what I think that can mean for you and for I. But worshiping God throughout the day, do you invest in your relationship with God? Do you invest in growing in knowledge and in grace? Do you invest in God's causes, in God's people? Not just with your money, but with your time. Do you serve in the church? Do you serve other people? Do you lay down your life on behalf of other people's goods? The way that Paul said it in Philippians 2 is, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is that true for you? Or do your interests come first? We live in a culture that would say Paul is the fool. Look for yourself first. Do things for your own self-interest. Paul says if you're going to model the life of Christ, you're not just going to look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Do you help make coffee at church? Do you help serving with the kids? Do you pray for those in need and for those who don't have and financially, are you giving to the church? Are you giving to missions, to Christian schools, to the poor? Does your bank account back up the fact that you love Jesus more than everything else? Does your time back up the claim that you love Jesus more than anything else? Because where we invest our treasure is where our heart is. Not Kyle Becker's words, but Jesus himself. Your 401k will always fluctuate. It could crash. I don't know much about money or investments or any of those things, but I do know this. It changes every day. But investing into the kingdom will pay eternal dividends. They'll last forever. Are you investing in the kingdom? And then Jesus ends that section by saying, you can't serve two masters. I think it's important to note you can't serve God and money but you can serve God with your money. You can't serve God in money, but you can serve God with your money. Now, it's 22 minutes of setting the stage for what Jesus is about to say. Therefore, because God is your master and not possessions, don't be anxious. So, the way I like to think about this text of scripture about not being anxious is it is a test to see if the prior verses are true for you. If God is your master and not the things of this world, then Jesus assures us, don't be anxious. But the vice versa is true as well. If things, possessions that you will not be taking with you into eternity are your master, be anxious. Because you're going to lose them. You're going to lose your house one day, and your car, 
You're going to not work one day in your life. Those things will be taken. But the Lord himself will not be. So don't be anxious. So just a note about anxiety. Anxiety, you know, in our current age can mean a number of different things. And I, and I do want to preface and say there are some people, likely some in this room, who have some sort of clinical anxiety where there is a, a chemical imbalance in their brain that uh, is going to increase the level of anxiety. And I'm not sure that's what Jesus was talking about here. What we do know is that Jesus is talking about worrying over God's provision. And so that is the anxiety that I want to talk about this morning, not necessarily what you're reading on social media or in WebMD articles about anxiety. Jesus here is talking about worrying over provision from God about material things. So Jesus provides an argument for why we should not be anxious about what we're wearing, what we're eating, and what we're drinking. And the first thing he says is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Of course it is. Of course the body is more about the body than clothing. How do I know that? Are you more concerned about getting a stain on a shirt or about a medical test from your doctor? Of course, Jesus is asking a rhetorical question. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you're not familiar with what catechisms are, that's a conversation for another day. But the Westminster Shorter Catechism, first question asks this. What is the chief end of man? So what is your purpose and what is my purpose as people created in the image of God? And man's purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So why to not be anxious about material things? Because your purpose and my purpose is to know God and enjoy him forever. The life of a Christian is not one that is not fun and miserable and drudgery just to get to eternity where one day we'll finally get to be happy. No. If you want true joy, you'll find it in the king who created joy. The chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. Second argument Jesus gives us, look to the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So if you think about birds, I don't ever think about birds, but if I did, I would notice that they don't farm. They don't drive to the grocery store. They're not tilling soil and planting seeds and making sure that, you know, checking the acidity level of the ground. They just show up and eat. They don't have a care in the world other than, I know there's food, I'm going to find it, I'm going to eat it. And what Jesus says here, look at this, he says, your heavenly father feeds them. Notice he doesn't say their heavenly father feeds them. He's not, you know, uplifting birds created in the image of God. He's saying, your heavenly father. Think about that. The God of the universe loves you, created you in his image, and he's taking care of the birds. He's going to provide for you. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Does worrying benefit you in any way? Does it, does it add time to your life? Actually, it probably does the opposite. It, it probably subtracts time from your life by worrying about all things all the time. What Jesus says here is, if you believe that God is in control of all things, that he loves you, you don't need to worry about material things. Don't worry about them. God loves you. You're his child. He will provide 
for you. And then finally, Jesus says, consider the lilies, how they grow with no work. God clothes them in grass, and he cares far more for you. Do you believe that God is good? Really, do you believe that God is good and that he loves you and cares for you? In the same way that my children believe that about me despite my flaws, despite my flaws, they know that their dad loves them. And I'm just an average 31-year-old guy. What about the creator of the universe who loved us and redeemed us? How much more does he care about us than we do for our own children. So Jesus here gives this you know, negative command, do not be anxious, the negative command. But he ends this section of scripture with a positive command to go do this. So in light of God's command to not worry about the things of this world, he says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. What does it mean to seek first? I think this is important because we could think that means uh, like a numerical order. We wake up and the first thing we should do is seek the kingdom. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, he's saying this is priority number one. Your first priority in life is to seek the kingdom of God. And so I'd like to end the sermon with just giving you maybe some application. This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you want to seek the kingdom of God, you first have to seek the king himself. As Christians, this is very important for us to realize that when we say God is the king, we are not imagining like the president of the United States who is walled off in a building in one small town who you will never meet or talk to likely in your life. He will never know your name. He doesn't actually care for you, the individual. It's not a political statement, just saying he doesn't know you. This king that we worship created you. He loves you, and he redeemed you. And you have full access to him at all times as a result of what Jesus did for you on the cross. This king is not just a king, but he's the king who is your father. He loves you. So is your life predicated on seeking the king? Do you open up your Bible and try to know him? you go before him in prayer, seeking to speak with him? When you sing the songs that we're singing, is there substance in those words that resonate within your heart that I love God? Is that true of your life? Is he really your master? Seek the king first. Second, pray that his kingdom would come. Jesus' words himself, we'd pray that God would one day return and that we would spend eternity with him. Seek to bring others into the kingdom. Your life is not about your, yourself. It's not about you and your own personal relationship with God, although that is important. But if you have a family, and if you have coworkers, and if you have neighbors, and if you have someone sitting next to you in this church, which is all of you, are you seeking to encourage others and also bring them with you into the kingdom? Is your life about laying down for others? Seek to bring others into the kingdom. So you seek the king himself. You seek that his kingdom would come, but you also seek to bring others with you into the kingdom. And then finally, Jesus says, seek his righteousness. And this is really important. 
So righteousness is the quality that someone has to be justified. And to be justified is the ability to be made right with. So in order for you and I to have a relationship with God, we must be justified. And to be justified, we again have to be righteous. The problem with this is you and I are not righteous. We are not good in and of ourselves. Look at Romans 3, you will see that Paul said the works in the Old Testament that none is righteous. So left to our own accord, we have a major problem. There is no righteousness within ourselves. But Jesus, why do we celebrate Christmas and Advent and everything we talked about last week? It's to understand this concept of righteousness, that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life without sin, without disappointment over Christmas presents, without being frustrated and angry at his spouse, without yelling at kids, without fill in the blank on all of the circumstances within our life that is corrupted with sin, Jesus had no part of it. And when Jesus went to the cross and died, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, the reason why was so for all of those who had put their faith in him, they would receive righteousness. Martin Luther called this an alien righteousness, which means that you and I are made righteous as a result of Jesus' work on the cross. So when you put your faith in Christ, you now receive the righteousness of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We come to worship together to celebrate this fact, that in Christ you are made new. In 2023, my prayer for Hope Church, for the church at large, is that we would seek the king. We would seek his kingdom. We would seek to bring others with us into the kingdom. And above all else, that we would celebrate, not just on Christmas, the righteousness given to us through the death of Jesus on the cross. Is that reality true for you? And if not, come to him this morning. Put your faith in a God who loves you, who cares for you, who has provided for you, and who will. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we, we come to you this morning just thankful for the fact that you loved us enough to die for us. God, we pray as we go into 2023, God, that we truly would Seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. God, that our lives would not be built on things of this world, but rather, God, that we would see our purpose is so much greater. Our purpose is to serve you, to glorify you, God, and to know you and enjoy you forever. I pray that that would be true for us this year. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.